Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here to share a bit about this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. In this episode, we chat with Suzanne, who learned several languages to a conversational level in just 90 days with the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. Suzanne shares what it's like to learn languages as someone who's shy and why it's important to lean into your discomfort. She also shares how the community in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge has helped her overcome obstacles and build confidence. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you want to look up any of the resources we talk about, you can find out more in the show notes at languagehacking.com slash 12. And one more thing before we get started, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. It really helps us spread the word about language hacking. Now, let's dive into the interview with Suzanne. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. Today we have a guest with us. She's one of our Fluent in Three Months Challenge coaches, Suzanne. Hello, Suzanne. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. And of course, I have our co-host, Benny Lewis. Hi, Benny. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. So why don't we just go ahead and get right into it? Suzanne, why don't you tell us how you got into this whole language learning thing? You know, I am not entirely sure how I heard about uh, the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, which used to be the Add One Challenge, but I did it way back when Brian Kwan used to um, used to run that quite a few years ago now. But you're, in terms of your own story of like how you got into languages... Ah, well, I, I, I had I had immigrants in my family and I grew up hearing several languages, but I the first language I ever studied was in high school. I took Spanish for four years, but and this is going to be a familiar story to all too many people. I was never able to speak Spanish despite four years of of high school study. I went to I went to Madrid that summer and discovered that I just I couldn't cope. I could read street signs, but I couldn't communicate. I find Spanish from Spain in particular is like having a machine gun of words being shot at you. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm able to I'm able to deal with it a lot be better now. But yeah, it does have that rat -a tat 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 to it. So what 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 changed? Like, how did your story evolve from there? Ah, what changed? Well, the first conversation I ever had in Spanish wasn't until last summer. That's right. I went my whole life not being able to speak Spanish until last summer. And I decided, you know, enough is enough. This, it, at first, it was a matter of it being a really useful language for me because I live in a city, San Diego, California, with 300,000 native Spanish speakers. And that doesn't include all the ones in Orange County and many more in Los Angeles, of course. And so it started out as as a practical thing. But uh, I found a teacher in Merida in Yucatan who was fantastic. And I was very anxious at first because she did not allow a single word of English. And I had these words in my head. I had studied Spanish for four years. I had them in my head, but I wasn't able at first to produce them. And at first it was a lot of drawing. I was allowed to draw pictures to show what I wanted. I was allowed to gesture. I was allowed to rephrase in other ways, but she was the one who got me being able to have basic conversations in Spanish. And so 
when I, I took about five months off of language learning late last year. And when I decided, when uh, Shannon and Elizabeth asked me if I'd like to be a coach, community coach in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, and as of early January, I think it was, I said, yeah, I want to give it a go. I want to do more than just, it's great that I could have a really basic conversation, but by that point, I had come to to love the culture of Mexico and Spain both, and I wanted to be able to bridge that gap between you know what I what I knew and how I wanted to to engage with the cultures and and to be able to express myself. So Spanish was kind of like your first language that you began studying uh, with the challenge, but now you study all sorts of different languages. Can you kind of run through some of the languages that you've studied? Oh, sure. Uh, when I was in college, I studied, took courses in seven languages. Um, I took a semester of Spanish that ended badly and prematurely. That was my first experience. I took, uh, I took a little German. I took two semesters of Italian, Japanese, Yiddish in private study with uh, a tutor, but for credit. I took modern Hebrew and... oh. Of course, French. French was my minor in college. I took an awful lot years of French. So that's what I studied in college. As for the languages I've done with Fluent in Three Months challenges, uh, there was German, uh, Italian. It was so rewarding to be able to have go to dinner parties of Italian expatriates and be able to speak with them and not have them slow down for me. That was very rewarding. Uh, I was also a finalist for Hebrew about a year ago, and I've done one in Hungarian. And coming up in July, I'm going to do my first ever polyglot challenge, trying to balance uh, my various needs for French, Spanish, German, and Italian. So what do you think would be the biggest differences then between when you learned those first languages that you mentioned uh, in university mm -hmm. versus the, the list that you just gave that you've been learning in the last year or so? How has that been different? Oh, that I can... Yeah, I can, I can, I can use them now. When uh, in everyday situations, when I studied French in the university, I could stand up and give a presentation that I had scripted. But if you had put me in a bar with people for two hours, you know, unless you want me to do literary criticism with them, you know, I'd be, I'd be lost. I couldn't have everyday conversations. And it was the only language I was really conversant in. The others, I just. Um, we never were required to do much conversation work in the classes. You know, I had a semester or two of quite a few different languages, but we never really had to say more than my name is so-and-so, what are you? And now I think the biggest difference that the Add One and then the Fluent in Three Challenges made is in terms of my anxiety. I'm a very shy person and I think shy people can sometimes use that as an excuse to, to not grow. Like I'm not even going to try that. So I'm still shy, but I put myself out there now. And it used to make me incredibly anxious just to have, just to book a lesson with an italki teacher. And now here I am, uh, not just booking lessons, but having conversations with total strangers going. I'm, I'm such an introvert. I'd rather stay at home with a book, but I go to, to meetups at bars and talk in Spanish for hours and have 
go to the tapas bar and enjoy that. And I can, I can do all these things. And it's so much rewarding knowing that, that I, I can do this. I mean, it's not the only thing I do. It's not a substitute for learning grammar and vocabulary, but it really activates the other things you've been, you've been learning and you're able to, to draw on that so much more easily. I love that you brought up your shyness and introversion because as you know, I'm also very shy and introverted Mm -hmm. and it's so, so easy, like you said, to use it as an excuse not to go out and speak and not to use the languages. Um, But as far as like for other people who may be shy or maybe introverted, what would your advice be to them to kind of push past that and go and do these things? Well, one of the things is to find a good teacher. Often the community is a really great resource for that. And you will be able to find other people who said, you know, I'm a, I'm a very shy person too. And such and such teacher put me right at ease. And if no one in your challenge knows, we have a big alumni community for Fluent in Three Months to draw on and people with huge amounts of experience in a lot of different languages and somebody is going to know. And the other thing is that we started, the community coaches started hosting language parties as of about a month ago, I think, and we're still going. And Paulette hosts them in Mandarin and French, and I host them in, so far, uh, I've done Spanish and regularly do um uh, I used to do French. Now I'm doing regularly Spanish and German. And there's an Italian one coming up next week. And they're usually really small groups and non-judgmental. And you can practice whatever you know. And if you want to show up and say, hey, I just started learning a couple of weeks ago. I can only introduce myself. Can I, can I just listen? Yes, that's, that's wonderful. So those are, that's another option for being able to try out your language. You don't, you're not going to get to a 15 minute conversation right off the bat. You just want to get a little bit more and a little bit more and, and keep taping, taking those baby steps to, to move you along to that ultimate goal. When you, um, when you say that you're, you're shy, what kind of would be the biggest obstacles that you would have faced before? Like you say, now that you go to these uh, meetups and I'm sure that your shyness, it's not like it's just evaporates and disappears. Like when you're in those meetups and an opportunity is arising, but you start to feel intimidating, intimidated or doubting yourself, what do you do to get through those challenging uh, moments? Uh, well, it sounds absolutely ridiculous. But the first time I went to a local Spanish meetup, I, ordered, I was going to leave as soon as I got there. As soon as I got there, I, I felt the nausea welling up from the anxiety. And there were probably 20 to 30 attendees there. It was a really big gathering. And I just decided I'm going to order food and a drink because that will make me sit there for the next half hour, hour and not run away because I will not want to run away from food I just paid for. (laughs) And soon enough, somebody came over and started talking to me. And then when I was done with my appetizer, I started milling around other groups. So once I got into it, I could sort of just forget that. And it's not like you have it's not like 100% of the onus is on me to communicate. It can just be like nodding your head and laughing and saying, oh, yeah, that's great. Or I totally did that. Or, you know, it's, it's not just on you. So even if you're a beginner, I have found people at the meetups. Um, and nowadays, there are a lot of meetups uh, on Zoom. So, you know, I've been able to attend meetups in 
that would have been held in in other places. So there's there's a lot of opportunity. But um, oh, I remember the first Spanish lesson I had last summer. That was the first time I'd taken a Spanish lesson in probably 25 years, and that was with the teacher who would not allow me to use a single word of English, and I had to pause for uh, five minutes in the middle of the lesson because I was feeling literally sick to my stomach at that time. And she was just, you know, so understanding about that. And I think it's, as my psychiatrist would say, it's about leaning into your discomfort. So you have to experience some amount of discomfort to grow as a person. You don't want to have such pain that you never want to go back in it. And you certainly don't want to ignore that. But if you're a hundred in your comfort zone, a hundred percent of the time, you're never going to be able to grow. So it's, for me, it's about finding that sweet spot of just a little, just enough discomfort to push through it. Yeah, and as well as that, I really like what you're saying that uh, you saw this intimidating big group of people and it can be very tempting to uh, give in to all of these thoughts of, you know, they're all going to do this better than me or they're going to laugh at me or they're going to hate me if I sit down with them. But you broke that down into, I'm just going to order food and I'm going to sit down and that's the first step. And I think that's a, that's a very big tip for a lot of people is that, these big challenges can feel like so many steps, but when you just break it down to let's just focus on this little thing first. It's a very, very, uh, very good way of getting through the problem, I think. Yeah. And ever since then, if I go to one of these things, I still have, it's not like I just had anxiety the first time. No, I have anxiety every time I first show up and I've learned to just sort of, you know, uh, grab something to drink and find a group seems to be sort of loosely organized and just sort of stand with them and nod and listen to them. And eventually you become part of that conversation. And then, then it becomes easier sometimes the more language exchanges you get and people to know and that sort of familiarity. And there are people who, same people who go to some of these meetups over and over, you, you, you feel a lot better. And uh, it can also work that people become so confident in one language that they feel awkward when starting a brand new language, another, a different language. And what I have learned from the Fluent in Three Months challenges is to put myself out there slowly but surely, even if it's a little bit, even from the early stages, don't wait until your day 30 or your day 60 video to speak a little. Find opportunities to to speak wherever they are. And that's why when I started relearning German this year, I had the hubris <laughs> or courage, <laughs> maybe that's a nicer way of looking at it, to join a local Stammtisch where everybody was B2 and above except for me. And uh, I could barely string a sentence together and they were just so happy to, to have me there. And I, you, aside from, you know, the first few minutes, I didn't use any English for a couple of hours and I was not able to say a whole lot, but it was tremendously useful. The other side of conversation, other than speaking, it was tremendously useful to be able to understand people. As 
uh, fellow introvert, I also find that one of the ways that uh, I personally can fight some of the anxiety around going to like meetups or having lessons is being as prepared as possible. And you mentioned just a moment ago that you've started um, a lot of languages and there's some anxiety around that starting. So I'm wondering if this is something that you do as well, or if it's not what you do kind of to help with some of that anxiety in starting something. Well, it's the anxiety provoking part for me is not deciding to start something in general. I can start something on a, on a whim. When, when Kirsten Cable said, I'm going to do a Welsh one-off thing, I said, sign me up right away. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot. I tend to be a very impulsive person in terms of wanting to learn new languages. I have plenty in my life where I have to fit into um, a box that I don't want to impose that on my hobbies. But on the other hand, I want to have enough structure so that I can make progress in whatever I want to do. The part that does make me anxious is when I first have to speak a language. And I spoke the earliest I have ever done. I spoke on day one in Welsh. There's a community and somebody started up a video chat. And I said the only thing that I could think think to say, uh, I don't know how to speak Welsh, but I said it in Welsh. I, I really like that. That's that's a good point that sometimes when even you don't think you can say anything, you can at least say that you don't think you can say anything. Oh, yeah. Like that, that in itself is your first way because it can, it can feel like, especially at day one, that there is nothing you can say. But just saying something, you don't have to start your language conversation with, here's the secret to life, the universe and everything. You know? <laughs> yeah. One thing I found useful when I was doing the Fluent in Three Months Challenge for Italian was your book, Benny, uh, Language Hacking Italian. And that got me into making some scripts of things that were very relevant for me and being able to turn it around with other questions to be able to, to keep it going. And, and I tried that out on my new friend who was, who was from Florence and, um, it was, it was really useful for just getting the ball rolling because if you just learn from a straight textbook, textbooks certainly have their place. I've got a lot of them on my shelves, but you might hear a dialogue with somebody in the airport or something else like that. That's not going to help me have my first mini baby conversation. But uh, the language hacking guide was really useful for me with Italian. Made me wish I had it for Hebrew. <laughs> So as a coach in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, you've kind of come across common problems of people who are learning new language. What would you say some of the biggest obstacles for new learners are? Some of the big obstacles for new learners. Uh, there are different categories. One is technical. People have questions about things. If it's something quick and easy, like wanting to know about the calendar, I can provide that. If it's beyond me, uh, we've got a great support guy for the forums. And uh, a lot of the problems that we find, uh, the issues people are having are social ones, that they might lack confidence, they might feel anxious, anxious about the challenge, anxious about language learning in general. And most people have studied a language before. It was often like me. It was often a few years in high school, and it often didn't turn out the, the way they wanted to. And now this is the first time where they're 
where a lot of them are being asked to come outside their comfort zones. So a lot of it is, is encouragement of saying, I've been there, I've done this. I've seen, I've seen dozens, if not hundreds of people succeed at this. And uh, that, that's what a lot of, a lot of it is. A lot of it is just letting them know that they really, they really can do this. It is doable. So based on what you've said, it sounds like confidence is a really big struggle for a lot of language learners um, as far as anxiety, introversion and shyness, perhaps for you, too. So I'd love to know what some of your methods for, you know, initially building that confidence in your new language are. That is a good question. I think it helps knowing that I have done it already. Uh, one thing that really helps is that people don't have to be an active part of the community, but it makes the experience so much richer if you can lean into that community. There, it is so rewarding to post your day 30 video and to hear people say, I just went back and watched your day zero video. What progress you've made in a month. I know you've been working hard on this. Your accent sounds great, this, that, or the other. The community is if you were to ask me what is my favorite part about the Fluent in Three Months challenges, I would say without a doubt, the community. That is that is my number one thing. It never, even though there's a winner, everybody who finishes 90 days is a winner to me. Um, and it never feels like a competition. It always feels like we're all in this together and how can we support each other through this? And um, what kind of influences have your language projects had on your own life in terms of, because uh, I've been, been told that you've got a kind of parallel with self-care when it comes to language learning. I do. I do. I do French with, with self-care. Uh, there's Jessica at French Sunnyside does uh, a lot of meditation stuff. So within, with my language learning, I'm able to combine my hobby with learning more about either culture or more about myself. And that is so much more rewarding than simply learning impersonal grammar and vocabulary because it's one thing feeds another. So my, my better mental health and my better self-care help my language learning. And in learning languages, I can, it, it's, it's, it's sort of one thing, one thing benefits, benefits the other, really. Um, even though I'm a really shy person, even introverts crave connection. They really do. And one of my greatest connections with language learning, there uh, was an older man at my synagogue who spoke barely a word of English. He was a native Spanish speaker from Mexico City. At the time um, that we became friends two years ago, I could not speak any Spanish at all, but I had gone through a Fluent in Three Months challenge in Italian, and his father was from Naples. We built our friendship around Italian. So this this old man who was very lonely because he couldn't really communicate with hardly anybody in the synagogue, we really, you know, de developed a, a friendship with a 50-year age difference um, uh, base, based around our love of languages. And he would even throw out some German here or there, and I would throw out German and Yiddish. And it was, uh, we really had a bonding experience over these languages. 
So you mentioned a bit about how you combine language learning with some of the other activities that you do and to form relationships. I'm also curious to know what are some of your favorite language learning rituals outside of those sorts of things, outside of like combining it with a hobby, self-care or combining it with, you know, um, an act, another activity that you're, you have in outside in the real world? Uh, well, one thing I think, one idea I think I originally picked up from Benny that I subscribed to Fluent in Three Months Plus, I got a membership to that a number of years ago, was different ways to incorporate language into your day in ways that you don't think. So many people think, oh, I don't have time to learn a language and they don't realize how many, sure, you might not have an hour or two hours to sit down at one shot and study a language, but a lot of people don't realize the way they can incorporate a language into their day. So uh, several examples of how I incorporate language into my day is that I have two meditation apps. Uh, one is called Calm that can come in five different languages, including Korean. And another one is Insight Timer has a vast collection of from dozens of languages. And I, I like to use my meditation on doing that. I also love listening to podcasts. And at this point for for French and Spanish and my other intermediate languages, I can listen to content made for native speakers. And that becomes very rewarding when it's not just aimed at beginners. Although there are also a lot of wonderful beginner podcasts too. So I would really encourage people to look into those. And although I don't include it in my study time, I like following TV shows and there is a lot out there, depending on which language you're studying. Of course, there has been a treasure trove for Spanish the last three months that I've been doing that. So those are, those are a few ways that I incorporate language into my life other than, other than courses and conversations. And uh, do you have any specific recommendations for us uh, in terms of uh, podcast, your favorite podcast for each of the languages that you um, actively use them for? Okay. Uh, with Spanish, I like Radio Ambulante, which has stories from all over Latin America. I am a news hound, so I like listening to El Washington Post. I subscribe to a bunch of uh, short podcasts from El País, the main newspaper in Spain. Um, so it's, it's mostly content made for native speakers that I'm doing in Spanish right now, but for beginner podcasts, there are things like slow German and there's coffee break in a number of different languages. And I really like, I really like those ones too. And, um, what other native content do you listen to apart from Spanish for the podcasts? Uh, I've been getting more into French. I've been trying to get, I restarted French recently and I've been trying to get recommendations from people in French. Um, two of them are intermediate podcasts, but they're mostly made for learners and not native speakers. And one of them is called Inner French and another one is called Francais Authentique. Those are all great recommendations. And you also mentioned that you liked watching TV shows. So do you have any in particular that you'd like to recommend there as well? I do. Uh, my favorite was probably El Ministerio del Tiempo, which is uh, the time, the time ministry. It is, I think it, I think it's on Netflix and it is science fiction and time travel. It's got, it's, it's so fun. You learn so much about history and it's got a little bit of a Doctor Who flavor about it. So I really enjoy El Ministerio de Tiempo. 
Uh, I also watched Grand Hotel, which is a good one for people who are into the whole Downton Abbey period piece thing. Um, people have been telling me I need to watch Chicas de Cable, Kate Cable Girls, and I intend to tend to start watching that soon. I also watched a historical, a more serious historical drama about Queen Isabella called simply Isabel before they removed it from Amazon Prime, sadly. So yeah, there's there's been a lot. And for people who love, I'm not one of them, but for people who love telenovelas, there is an endless amount of those out there. Thank you. Um, one of the questions that we always like to ask our guests, because this is the Language Hacking Podcast, is what language hacking is for you? Well, I would guess it's about focusing. Everybody likes to say learning languages is so hard and it can't be. And there are hard parts and it requires a lot of hard work. I think when people see someone who speaks multiple languages, I can't tell you how many times I've been told, you've got a talent, you've got a gift. I'm the woman who couldn't speak a word in Spanish until my mid forties. Okay. It's, it's, it took it took a lot of work for, for me to get there. It didn't just happen on, on talent alone. And I don't think people are there to see that in the first three months of the year, I didn't have a single name. I worked six days a week on my language and I took a seventh day as a break. And I did that every day in and day out for for over three months there. And they don't see all the work that goes into that. I think for me, language hacking is that sometimes we can get so lost in what's difficult that we don't realize what can be easy about a certain language. If you're talking about, if you're talking about Hungarian that uh, is notoriously difficult for English speakers. I, I know Shannon, you've studied Hungarian also. Uh, one, one delightful thing is that it doesn't have grammatical gender. That um, and there, if you've studied a language that's similar, like French or Spanish or Italian, you've got that one leg up to there. And it's it, we can get so bogged down in what's difficult about about something that we forget to to figure out what's easy about it. And I would say my greatest language hacking tip is to find the joy. Because for me, I am not going to last long if there is no joy involved. And um, I look for the joy. And I, I like that, uh, that you look for the joy and you look for what's easy as well. Because uh, with a language like Hungarian that has a notorious, uh, it's notoriously known for uh, being a difficult language. I made it my own little project when I learned a little Hungarian to find out what's easy about Hungarian. And I had the audacity to write a blog post, why Hungarian is easy. Just to, just to prove the point. I read that. <laughs> yeah, because people, people need that. Yeah, I think it's a good, good way of looking at it. Language hacking can also be how to find what's easy because there's, there's a lot of ways to find intimidation in the language. But if you find ways that it's uh, opening the language up to you, you can make, it, make so much progress that way. So you mentioned a little bit earlier on that you're going to be joining another Fluent in Three Months Challenge um, in about a month, but there's a little bit of time before that happens. So would you mind sharing what you're going to be working on on the interim? Uh, sure. Um, well, I had a conversation with you, Shannon, about, about what I might want to do in the next month or so, about five weeks from now. And uh, I think you said one of the things was to that I took to heart was to gather gather information, gather information about what I am doing right now. Right now I am juggling a 
the same languages that I also intend to be doing as part of the Polyglot Challenge. So I've been I've been gathering data. I love the Language Habit Toolkit by Kirsten Cable. That's what I have used for over a year now to to track all of my languages, and that becomes really useful because I can see at a glance how much I've been focusing on listening, reading, speaking, and writing. And I might want to, in a language like Spanish, focus mostly on listening and speaking. That, you know, that is often my goal in Spanish. In a different language on German, I put a greater emphasis on being able to read. There are a lot of things I want to read in German eventually. And neither one of those is, is right or wrong, but it's, it's, you can't know where you're going until you know where you are right now. So uh, I have been collecting good data through all of all of April so that I can I can figure out where I am to then decide, okay, well what am I going to do for the first 30 days of the challenge? And yeah, so I had this conversation with with Shannon about what happens if if I decide I want to put more emphasis on language X and less emphasis on language Y. And she said, that's perfectly okay. If you, if you take inventory once a month and decide to, to change it, because I think that's one of the reasons why the polyglot edition of the challenge appealed to me, because all of those languages are, one of them is A2, but the rest of them are, are intermediate. And it's about long-term sustainability. And I, I know I'm not going to make the kind of rock star progress in a single language as if I were focusing on a single language. But since I have almost all those languages at the intermediate level, it's more about uh, maintenance or slight improvements and figuring out how these fit into my life. And um, one thing that I, I see that you do is you actually have different colored notebooks to organize your languages. Can you tell us a bit about that? I'm curious about these like fun little extra spins you have to your polyglot project. I, I do. I have an entire rainbow of, of notebooks that uh, our Elizabeth from Fluent in Three Months has, has drooled over before on Instagram. Um, I decide what color represents which language to me. You know, um, Spanish has fiery red. Most of the Nordic countries have this icy blue tones for it. So, and I arrange them by color in a rainbow. So that's one of the things for me. If, if a resource is not appealing in some way, I'm much less likely to use it. I like, I like my notebooks to be pretty. I like like my language habit tracker to be pretty and highlighted and color coded. And that's has become part of the, the, the joy for me, those little things sometimes. It's funny because in my own polyglot project that I've been really getting a lot of momentum with lately, uh, a funny thing that I'm doing is I, I like making videos as part of my practice. I want to, whenever I'm in a particular language day to upload some video, even if it's a quick 15 second TikTok or something, and one uh, quirk that I've added to it is the same as you, except I have a different colored hat. So I wear a red hat whenever I'm going to speak Spanish in a video. And it's these little things that just make it more fun, you know? I think that's one of the great things about this whole language learning experience. And especially with language hacking, it's finding that solution that's tailored to you personally. And I think that you've just done a really great job doing that. Oh, thank you. It's, it's, Definitely a lot of experimentation. And it's not just experimentation once for one challenge, it's ongoing experimentation. And 
and never think that because what you're doing right now isn't working for you, that it means you're failing. No, it just means whatever you're doing right now isn't working right for you. And it's, it's time to try something different or something else. And I had a big vocabulary push a few months ago of how to rehaul my, my vocabulary learning in all my languages. And one of the things that I know about myself is that I hate making flashcards. There, I've, I've said it. I, I know flashcards are immensely useful. Um, and I do continue to make some flashcards, but flashcards are not what I do uh, the majority of the time to study vocabulary. There's almost always another way to get around doing something. So what are some of the things that you do to study vocabulary if you don't do the traditional flashcard method? Ah, well, I like my pen and paper and I have often used my pretty rainbow notebooks to write vocabulary in. And I am not as organized as I would like to be. I am a little bit inconsistent and it's always, I'm a work in progress. It's always something I'm working on. But now I've started like after my lessons, I will go through on Skype and put all the new words from the conversations, which are all relevant to my interest. That's, that's one great thing about getting to a certain level is that I have lessons that are tailored to my interests. And I am, I am such a nerd about learning about, about culture and history and art and literature. Those, those are my things, that's my jam. And if someone wanted to see these beautiful notebooks on Instagram or find out a little bit about what you're doing with your language projects, where might they go? Uh, my Instagram handle, uh, for now, just because my first name is French is Suzanne Languiste for S-U-Z-A-N-N-E dot L-I-N-G-U-I-S-T-E. And, uh, I am usually, I don't post to my feed all that often, maybe once every couple of weeks, but I'm very active in my stories because again, it's, it's like community. I love engaging. I love geeking out with other people about things because in my real life, I can mention some of these things to my neighbors, to my friends, acquaintances, and D&D people. And you can only say so much before their eyes start to glaze over about languages. So for me, it has been wonderful being able to geek out about languages of other people like you who really get it. And we'll make sure to put a a link to your Instagram in the show notes for this episode so people can uh, check that out, as well as you listed a lot of um, good resources and other podcasts and such. So we'll we'll put all of that in the show notes if people want to follow up and look into them. One other reason I would recommend Instagram is I have found so many of my wonderful Instagram teachers. That's how I found Ines Ramos that I take Journey to Spain with her. That's how I met Maria Ortega Garcia. Um, One of my French teachers I met through Instagram. And these are people who don't just, who are deeply invested in the students, deeply invested in learning and people who are invested in the community as well. So they're not just, you know, people who are doing this to make a living. Certainly there's that, but, uh, but uh, they really love, they really love what they do and their passion really brings joy to me as well. Well, we just want to thank you for taking the time to share your experience with us and what's worked for you in language learning. Thank you. And uh, for those of you listening, we'll see you in the next episode. But in the meantime, happy language learning. Yeah. Thanks for joining us uh, today, Suzanne. Thanks, everybody, for listening in and uh, happy language learning until next time. 
Hey there, it's Shannon here. I hope you enjoyed this episode and all the fascinating topics we touched on while chatting with Suzanne. At the end of each interview, I like to share something that stood out to me as a fellow learner. I'm definitely here taking notes too. One of the things Suzanne brought up that resonated with me as a language hacker was this. Don't forget about what's easy in a language. Too often we get bogged down in what's difficult about our languages. The grammar, the completely different vocabulary, the different writing system, all the things we forget. When this happens, reminding yourself of what's easy in your language or what you like about it can help you reframe your studies. In short, find the joy. And if you want a little extra support with this, why not join us in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge where you'll be coached by me and community coaches like Suzanne. And you'll have a 15-minute conversation in a new language after just 90 days. You can find out more and join our waitlist at fluentin3months.com slash challenge. Thanks for listening and have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.